The reason why I want to do this seminar is because over the last probably year or so, I've had conversations with 10 different senior pastors and 10 different sets of trustees on the subject of sabbaticals. And so I, I was like, if I could just do it at this conference and record it, then I can just encourage other people to listen to it. And the, the idea of it is that this is hopefully will become... Okay, this will become a bit of a tool that then will help people to navigate the awkwardness of the conversation because there's something unbelievably awkward about senior pastors approaching their trustees and saying, I, I'd like a sabbatical and I wonder whether you could make, you know, find your way towards making some financial resource available. And just the whole, the whole thing is fraught with difficulty, awkwardness and so on. And, and so I want to just speak about some of the things that leadership teams should be speaking about in order that, you know, you can say, oh, have you, have you all listened to the recording? And then hopefully that will move things forward. Um, obviously, it would be inappropriate for me to say, here's what a really good sabbatical looks like because we're all so different. And, you know, what's Paul's idea of a great sabbatical might well be my idea of living hell. No, no doubt it would involve running a lot and uh, doing a lot of exercise. And, and that, you know, I mean, it's just not my idea of fun. So, so what I want to do is to just provide you with a bunch of questions that you can use to navigate the conversation in your own context. I've got eight questions. They don't all begin with the same letter. I'm so, I'm so sorry. Um, but uh, hopefully, if you navigate through those questions with your trustees and so on, then you'll come out with some kind of a response. Look at that. Thanks. OK. So um, and j just, just so we're really clear, I don't want to have to argue theologically for a sabbatical. So, so from, my, from my perspective, where I'm coming from is I and my wife had a life-changing sabbatical in 2019. I mean, I, and I don't use that word lightly. It was absolutely transformational for both me and my wife, for our marriage, for our relationship with Jesus, for our relationship with our church. Uh, and, and the people we were going into our sabbatical feels like a, an entirely different set of people to the people who currently exist. And, and so, like, I would just want to say, it, it's it, you, done well, it's an unbelievably powerful tool. And, and, and so I, I'm just speaking from the pro stance. Um, and so, okay, let's just crack on with the questions and then, and then we'll see where we go. Uh, question number one, why do we do sabbaticals? I think it's a really important conversation to have within trustees and within church leadership teams like rather than just doing it having a really clear understanding about why we're having a sabbatical what what is the significance and importance of it and um one of the things that we come across in these conversations is people saying well hang on a minute i work 70 hours a week as a doctor on the front line of the NHS or I'm a care worker and I'm you know working all the hours and all these kinds of questions why is it the pastors get sabbaticals I don't get a sabbatical and so I think it's important to to have an answer to that question you know why do we give our pastors sabbaticals and in one sense the response that I would want to give to that question you know well hang on a minute why don't I get a sabbatical is yeah that's a really good question why don't doctors in the front line in the NHS get time away from the front line every so often to recharge and restore be refreshed learn some new things and then go back in again I but I'm not responsible for the NHS and so I can't answer it for that but I think there are three really good answers to that question in the context of pastoral ministry and the first one is that our senior pastors are our most valuable asset and Immediately we fall into a trap in this conversation because senior pastors almost always downplay their own skills and their own abilities and their own contribution. And so, you know, often trustees will find it incredibly frustrating because they'll be trying to encourage their senior pastors and saying, oh, that was so brilliant, that thing that you did there, or that event that happened, or that alpha course, or whatever it was, was amazing. That's so fantastic. And in that context, often senior pastors will say, oh, it wasn't really me, it was the team. 
or oh, is it you know like it takes a lot of people to make this thing work really well, or and so they deflect all the time. Senior pastors, good senior pastors, will almost always draw attention and give credit to people around them and not to themselves. And so over the course of time, trustees can end up thinking, I don't actually know what our senior pastor really does or what they contribute because the, you know whenever I ask them about stuff, they're always telling me about all the other people and what they did. And so there's a, that's a trap. And trustees can often fall into the trap of believing that senior pastors don't do anything or that they're not as valuable as they are, whereas I'd want to push back really heavily and say the senior pastors are the most valuable asset that a church has. And so we need to recognize that. I think of a senior pastor as being like the air pump on a bouncy castle, you know, like... uh, Particularly, it's just a functional piece of kit, but but without it, you got nothing. You know, the, no one gets to bounce, no one gets to play, no one gets to have fun. But with the little blower thing on the bouncer castle, everyone gets to play and everyone gets to have fun. And so, the senior pastors are incredibly important to the to the health and the function of a church. Um, I wonder what else I was going to say on that. Uh, yeah, so, so sabbaticals are a way of bringing senior pastors away from the front line, uh, you know, unstringing the bow. Are you familiar with that idea that um, uh, bow and arrow bow, you know, you, when you're not using it, you have to take the string off and just allow it to go back to its normal resting position so that later on down the line it's still just as powerful. If you leave it strung all the time, tightly strung, then over time it just loses all of its power. And so we have to value the contribution of our senior pastors and recognize what they, what they do. The second thing is there's a corrosive pressure that is present for senior pastors and people in pastoral ministry that is absolutely unique to pastoral ministry. No one else is, I mean, different people in different walks of life get different aspects of it, but senior pastors are under a particular combination of corrosive pressure that is dangerous and damaging in the long term if it isn't recognized and mitigated. So, for example, um, the problem of people. You know, they say the problem with sheep is that sheep bite, and, and that's absolutely true. And, and if you can imagine, over the course of years or even decades of investing in people, loving people, serving people, and have them... If you can imagine, I don't, I'm sure there's nobody in this room who could imagine this kind of disappointment, but the crushing disappointment of people leaving, betraying, speaking badly about you, um, uh, rejecting you after all of the kind of things that you've done, uh, you know, the gossip, the backbiting, the backseat driving, all of these kinds of things. The people, uh, as much as we love them and we want to serve them, they also create an immense amount of pressure. Secondly, the pressure of finance. Often it's the senior, even though trustees can be really supportive and really encouraging and, and would feel responsible for their, the financial aspects of the church, it's the senior leaders who feel the pressure of, are we going to have mo- enough money to pay for everything that God is calling us to do? And in particular, I don't know what, you, you, for the people in this room, the, the salary bills that you have to pay but but I don't know about anyone else but I'm so conscious every month as we're signing off the checks or the you know the bank transfers and so on goodness the number of people whose livelihoods depend on the income of our church and we're looking at the the, post-covid the income of our church having consistently declined for the last two years and I, I don't know if anyone is experiencing the pressure that I'm experiencing right now the sense of responsibility for that and so the finances is a thing the pressure of the vision burning in your heart that feels so different from the current reality and just always living in the in the um, hinterland between what I know God's called me to and I know what God's given to me and, I, and, and the dream and the vision that we're working towards, but just the reality of the mundanity and, and everything that we currently have and the gap between those two causes immense pressure. The pressure of being a public Christian. You know, anyone else in, in your church can... Um, uh, um, be off out nightclubbing or, you know, doing all kinds of things. And if they're spotted doing whatever they're doing, their job isn't on the line. But, but, but we have to, everything we do is being scrutinized at all times. I'm always amazed at the things that people notice. 
You know, like, oh, I noticed you've got a new car. Or, oh, you've had your hair done. I mean, obviously not so much for me. Or, you know, a new, new shirt, and it's like, goodness, you, you are watching everything that I do at all times. You know, and, and as much as we want to be real and honest and we want to be people who express what's really going on, there's only a certain level of vulnerability that is appropriate in a public context. And so there's a, the, the pressure of wanting to be the leader that people expect me to be and wanting to, you know, always being up for it in a prayer meeting, always been leaning in at every church service. I never get to sit on the back row and uh, look at Twitter during the sermon. You, you, you know, like the pressure of being a public Christian all the time and being scrutinized is huge. The pressure of parenting in a goldfish bowl. You know, so all the time, for those of us who have children, um, people are making judgments about us on the basis of what they see our kids doing. And uh, the behavior of our kids on Sundays or in other environments, people are scrutinizing that and making judgments about us and our leadership and our family life and what goes on behind closed doors. Uh, the pressure of dealing with vulnerable people. Mentally ill people, suicidal people, sick people, dying people. And, and so you've got all of these pressures. And at the same time as that, you can never switch off. You know, this is, a, this is a calling. It's a vocation. It's not a job. It's 365 days a year. It's, it's 24 hours a day. And, and as much as we might want to put some boundaries, and I would recommend putting boundaries around those things, um, uh, there's, all of that collides in a perfect storm to, to, to provide a level of pressure, at the corrosive pressure that is unique to pastoral ministry. And, of course, COVID has compounded all of those pressures. Nobody thinks that leading a church is easier now, do we? Uh, it's, it's obvious that it's, it's harder for all of us and, and the concern for the ones who aren't with us or, or don't seem to be anywhere, the concern for the missing people, the concern for the missing money and all these kinds of things. And so if we don't mitigate that pressure, then something unthinkable will happen. And... So I think it's really important for trustees to think about, to, th to think the unthinkable. What would be the cost to your church if your pastor or pastors were to blow their lives up? You know, your, your, um, one of your senior pastors were, were to just think, I, I, need to, I need to get out of my life. I can't live this life anymore, and I'm going to pull the ripcord and... Uh, uh, and that might be through substance abuse, it might be through financial misdealings, it might be through some kind of inappropriate relationship. Just think about the impact, the cost to your church if the unthinkable were to happen, the relational cost. You know, so many people just feeling like, I thought I knew that person or those people, I, I believed in them, I followed them for all these years, and now I don't know what was real. I don't know, you know, like, was it all pretend? The damage to, re to relationships and, and to, um, to people's faith, the spiritual cost. People say, so often these are moments where people say, that's it, I'm done with church. I'm never going back to church. I'm, I, I'm, I'm uh, going to turn my back on my relationship with God. The financial cost of the church suddenly hemorrhaging people at a rate which is, is really, really scary, even to the extent where some churches just implode and, and disappear without a trace. And so what's it worth to the trustees to prevent those things from happening? How much, how much would, a, would a board of trustees be willing to pay to prevent all of those costs from being incurred in the first place? And also, what are the opportunity costs? You know, so... So obviously, if you've got senior pastors who are tired and beaten down and weary, and then they see a building that's, that's available for sale, or they see um, uh, uh, some other opportunity made available to them, but they're really tired, probably they're not going to reach for that opportunity in the way that they would if they were refreshed and recharged and restored. And, and so that's, for me, why in the vineyard I'm so grateful that that we've chosen to make sabbaticals a 
uh, a matter of policy, really. Yeah, and I know not all vineyard churches have have um, implemented sabbaticals as a regular thing, but more and more are, are all the time. And I just think, why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we just pay, you know, make that available to people and, and pre prevent all kinds of uh, fallout from taking place in the first place? Let me just say, by the way, I'm not speaking on behalf of Vineyard Churches. So there is a document called Sabbatical Guidelines. It's on the stack. It's on the stack available for trustees and in that section, and it's also available on the senior pastors section. And so I'd strongly recommend that you, if, if that's a thing that you're looking to pursue, that you look at what the vineyard says. Um, I'm just representing myself. So uh, that's the second thing, corrosive pressure. And the third thing is, who wants to be led by tired pastors? No, you know, no one, no one wants to be part of a church uh, uh, where the senior pastors just look exhausted all the time. And so why wouldn't we do something about that? So that's the first thing. Why do we even do sabbaticals anyway? I think it's important that trustees and leadership teams have a compelling answer to that question. The second question is, what should we do on a sabbatical? Like, What should we use the time for? And different streams and networks denominations have a different policy on this stuff. And lots of denominations would say this. They'd say, well, it's important that you produce something. So, you know, write a book or write a research paper, or go and do something productive, you know, and then come back and show us what you've produced. For me, I, can't, I think that's almost entirely the opposite of what I think is a, a good use of a sabbatical. If you think about it, a senior pastor's job, or a pastor's job, is to produce things all the time. And, and the drive to be productive is what's got them in the place of exhaustion and, and um, need for a sabbatical in the first place. And so I would say it's almost the reverse. It's like, um, how could you be as unproductive as possible? How could you produce as little as possible for a section of time? It is almost the way to go, rather than how could I be productive? Obviously, there are some things that, see if you're uh, someone who finds writing really life-giving, you know, uh, writing poetry or writing a, a book or something like that, and you would find that a relaxing, restorative, refreshing thing to do, then of course, why not? But for most people, it's the opposite. It's like, I need to try to not produce something. One of the things that I found on our sabbatical was in the first few days of our sabbatical, I, opened, I, I, I had this whole plan. I was going to read through John's gospel every week, and, and I opened the Bible on the first day, and it was like being transported back to my desk. And, and I, I was immediately thinking about the sermon points that I would make out of the passage as I was reading in it. And I just wept. And I was like, oh my goodness, what have I become that my relationship with Jesus is so inextricably linked with my vocation and my job that I can't separate the two. And I, I actually couldn't really read the scriptures for a number of weeks. I just had to just put the Bible to one side and find other ways to engage with God because it was just too painful. And so this concept of production is, is something to really pay attention to. And so if, if we're saying that, that being productive isn't, isn't necessarily the thing, then we have to think, well, what is the thing? How, how are we going to use our time uh, well? I was going to say productively. And I think that a great sabbatical is about four things. It's about reconnecting with God. It's about reconnecting with myself. It's about reconnecting with my family. And it's about reconnecting with the church. Let me just say those things again. It's about reconnecting with God. It's about reconnecting with myself. It's about reconnecting with my family and my spouse, if I have one. And it's about reconnecting with the church. And so um, for me, that was, that was exactly my experience. At the end of my, that was why it was so life-changing, because out of my sabbatical came a relationship with Jesus that, that I hadn't had since my teens. And which uh, it, it, it was just remarkable. And, and a relationship with my, my marriage was in the best place it had been for more than 10 years, I would say. And, and I could go through all of them. It's just a, an entirely life-changing thing. And so I think 
for me, it's about thinking through each one of those four things. What kinds of activities could I do with those four things that would result in an improvement and a reconnection? So for example, um, how could I reconnect with God? So I'm going to go away for 12 weeks, three months, eight weeks, whatever you decide. What things could I do in those eight weeks or 12 weeks that would change the game in terms of my relationship with God? And it'll be different for everyone, won't it? So for some people, it'll be, I'm going to have to get into the mountains or I'm going to have to get somewhere by the sea or I'm going to have to do some kind of prayer ministry thing or some spiritual direction thing or, or I'm going to read particular portions of scripture every day or whatever it is. So it's, it's thinking through, what would I find restorative in my relationship with Jesus? What would make a dramatic difference? Lots of people, including myself, have done RTF, Restoring the Foundations, which is a really, really uh, intense week, a week of prayer ministry. So it's like three hours of prayer ministry every day for five days. Uh, not for the faint-hearted. <laughs> but... but Lots of people I know have testified to its power, and so I can commend that to you. How would I reconnect with God? Secondly, how would I reconnect with myself? So by the time of we came on sabbatical, it had been 21 years since I'd left my job in IT. And, and so, so for 21 years, just been at the coalface, just doing stuff for Jesus in, in as many different ways as possible. And like I said, I, it was very hard to figure out who I was. And it was scary when I realized, oh my goodness, like my Christian faith and being a pastor and like who, who even am I when I'm not a pastor was a scary question to me. And so um, part of the journey of my sabbatical was figuring out, rediscovering who I was, who God had made me to be, what gifts he'd given me to steward. And, and what things I was passionate about, as well as developing a, a kind of a hinterland. Like, one of the things with pastors is that we work so many hours, and it's such a, uh, the hours are so intrusive into our lives, so there's so many evenings and weekends and so on, that hobbies are, like, more or less impossible. And, and, and yet, you know what they say, if you want to be interesting, get interests. And, and I realized, to my shame, I had basically none. I just like, what do you do with your time? I watch, I watch YouTube videos. Like, you know, like, you're not a very engaging person at dinner parties if all you do is sit and watch YouTube videos. And, and so um, thinking through, what, what hobby, hobbies could I pick up? What interests could I do? What, what different things could I pursue that would just, re, just create a bit more of a personality, you know, and, and reconnect me with my identity? Some kind of coaching or whatever would be really helpful in that space. Just to help you think through who am I, what has God given me, what, uh, and what am I passionate about. Uh, thirdly, how could I reconnect with my wife or my husband and my family? You know, I'm sure this doesn't happen to anyone else, but, but me and Taryn will go out occasionally for dinner not as often as we should do and not as often as we tell other people that we do. But, but, you know, we'll go out and we'll say, let's not talk about the church. And then we'll sit there. So, um, no, I've got nothing. <laughs> you know, it's like this, what else is, uh, I, I, we've got almost no chat. And, and, and um, because being a pastor is so intrusive and if we're not, we don't really watch it, the number of hours can really stack up. We can end up being really tired. And, and then all of the different uh, issues and so on that are happening in the church can often be the first thing you think, think about when you wake up in the morning and the last thing you think about when you go to bed, which are the moments when you're in bed, which, again, isn't conducive to having a great sex life or a great, a great marriage. And so all of these things can have a corrosive impact on our marriage. And so it's important to think through what could we, how could we, if you're married, in a sabbatical, use this time to just reconnect together and to win each other back and, and to love each other in a fresh way. And so, um, you know, love after marriage, the marriage course, different marriage retreats, plenty of dates and walks and oysters I've written down <laughs> uh, and well, whatever floats your boat.
The other thing about family is that our kids pay a really heavy price for, for having parents who are pastors. And, you know, one of the best moments of our sabbatical that I'll always remember, I can picture exactly where we were. Uh, we were in a really sunny, hot country, and we were walking down a particular street, and I was saying to our kids, the leaders and the trustees of our church see the price that you pay as being our kids, and they really wanted to give you this gift. I got a bit emotional. They'll always remember that. You know, the, 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 the other people in our church recognize the price that they pay and wanted to bless them. And I think one of the things that I, I've said to every set of trustees that I've spoken to so far is, don't forget the kids. Think about how could we, even if it's just a token gesture or a little, you know, how could we bless the kids and, and help them to understand that we're grateful to them too? So uh, reconnecting with the family is a huge thing. Lots of opportunities. That's why lots of people, uh, pastors, if they're taking a sabbatical and they have kids, they'll be thinking they're probably going to take it over this, you know, with the six weeks holiday as part uh, in the summer as, as part of that. And lastly, how, what could we do on our sabbatical that would help us uh, reconnect with the church? And again, just over time, we can end up becoming a bit cynical about the church and, and or, or uh, we're just carrying a level of disappointment that is, that is corrosive. And so it's just thinking about how could I... Uh, so for lots of people, they'll go and visit other churches. We found that hugely beneficial because you go and visit a whole bunch of other churches, you have a lovely time, and you think it's a great church, it's just not my church. And, and so we found that we came back thinking, my goodness, there are some brilliant churches out there. We don't want to be anywhere else other than Aberdeen right now. That's, you know, imagine being somewhere else in the world, you know, just going off to take, take a, a pastorate somewhere else in a kind of careerist move, and then God were to visit your home church, and all kinds of crazy things were happening, and you just think, oh, I should have been there. And so uh, just thinking through, giving space and time to dream and to hope, uh, develop a fresh gratitude for home base is, is absolutely huge. And so a well-planned sabbatical can, um, like I say, just have a huge impact in all four of those areas. And as a result, be a game changer for the pastors and the leaders and therefore a game changer for the church. And a poorly thought through or poorly planned sabbatical can have the exact opposite result. I remember the, the first thing that we did on our sabbaticals, we went to a, do a love after marriage course. And, and uh, there was a guy there who was a church leader. And, and he was saying, oh, what are you hoping for? What are you nervous about for your sabbatical? And I said, the thing I'm most nervous about is that it has no makes no difference that I come back just as tired or just in the same place as I am right now, and I, I, I won't be able to stay in ministry if I stay in the place I am right now. And, and thank you, Lord, you know, that, that didn't happen. But, but I think it's so important that, that we don't just end up with disappointment at the end, and therefore just really thinking it through and planning it well is important. And that probably takes a year, you know, realistically, if you rush, oh, I, I need to take a sabbatical. I'm going to take it, ne you know, next month. It's unlikely to have the effect that you need. Uh, next question, how, how long should a sabbatical be? Again, that's for every church to decide. In the vineyard guidelines, I think it says uh, about 8 to 12 weeks. For, uh, again, for me personally, uh, it, it was about 10 and a half weeks in where I suddenly fell in love with the scriptures again. And I just couldn't read it. I, and I more or less uh, read the whole of the New Testament in, in really quick succession. And I was seeing things in the Bible that I'd never seen before. But it, it really took the full 12 weeks before I felt like, okay, I'm ready now. You know, even 13 or 14 weeks might have felt too long, but less than 12 weeks would have felt too short. And so I think 12 weeks for senior leaders is about the right length as far as I can see, but every church has to make that decision. In our church, what we then went on to do is to say, we also want our other pastors to experience sabbatical too. And so we started to think about 
uh, what, what level is appropriate for them. I think we settled on eight weeks for other pastors in our church uh, and on some kind of rolling rotation uh, and then 12 weeks for senior pastors. That seems to be on the generous side, as far as I, uh, as far as I can see in terms of the wider movement. I don't know many other churches that would give their other pastors eight weeks. Lots of people would do four or six. Um, how often should a sabbatical be? The convention seems to be about seven years. Um, and that feels like a fairly biblical number. Uh, but there's no science behind it. And, and like I, I know of... of uh, one particular stream of churches in Scotland where they do every five because they don't ever want people to get to the point where they're so exhausted that they really need a sabbatical and so they've trimmed it down. Definitely in the, in the vineyard guidelines, I think it says when you get older, you need more. And, and so I, th I don't know whether it says this exact number, but the implication is that maybe you'd go to every five years when you get past 60. Um... Okay, here's the biggest question. How much should a sabbatical cost? And for me, this is an absolutely critical question and, and one of the main reasons why I'm doing this seminar and, and God willing, having it recorded. Um, because every single church that I've uh, spoken to on this subject has got um, stuck at this moment in exactly the same way. So let me just describe how it works in every single church. The trustees want to be generous and they want to be open-minded and open-handed and they don't want to be prescriptive. And so the trustees say to the senior pastors, why don't you just go away and think and dream and go and do some research and then come back with a proposal about what you want to do? And that sounds like a brilliant thing to say, but it's... It, in every single case that I've come across, it creates the same thing, which is paralysis. The senior pastors then think, I've no idea where to start. And in particular, the reason I'm, I've no idea, idea where to start is because I've no idea what you're thinking in terms of finances. And, and so for just a, as a stupid example, you know, if, if you're thinking that you're going to give me the time off, but you're not going to make a budget available to me, then I'm just thinking I'm pretty much going to stay at home for 12 weeks. And, and, you know, I might do some kind of online marriage course, but that might be the extent of it. If you're thinking that you're going to give me 500 quid, then maybe I might use that to go somewhere to try and do a marriage course. If you're thinking you're going to give me 5,000 quid, then I'm going to go to a uh, specific marriage retreat for church leaders where they deal with the exact things that church leaders face and it's going to be residential and it's going to take more than one day and, and it's going to be a proper job but it's going to cost proper money. But because you've given me the total freedom to say most pastors feel entirely paralyzed and, and, I, un, and unable to even contemplate how they would even make a decision. And so if you're a trustee either in the room or listening to this uh, recording, if there's one piece of advice on this whole thing that I would just urge you to consider, it's this. Do some research, make a spreadsheet, and then give your pastors a ballpark figure. Um, like, really think about it. And do the work on behalf of the senior pastors. So, so, so for example, think through, you know, I talked earlier on about restoring the foundations. If you want your senior pastors to have a week-long prayer ministry retreat, I think the cost just for doing that course for a couple is £1,200. And then that's not including accommodation. So you're going to go and do it somewhere else in the country. So you're going to need some uh, petrol to get there. And then you're going to need some hotel accommodation for five, six, seven nights. You're going to need food, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So you probably haven't got very much change out of £2,000 for, for a senior pastor to do that. And so if you think that that would be a valuable thing, then you've already got to £2,000. And then you think, do you know what? I'd love them to do love after marriage as well. Again, that's maybe, I forget, three or four days. And um, it's going to be in another part of the country. Mileage, 
yeah, I, I don't think the actual course is very expensive, like a couple of hundred quid or something like that. But you're reasonably going to get to one thousand, one one and a half thousand pounds to enable, facilitate your senior pastors to go and do that course. And, and, and then you're going to say, hey, I'd love you to go and visit some other churches around and about. Why don't you go and visit that church on the south coast of England, though, only, even though you live in Scotland? And why don't you know, so you've probably got some flights in there. You've got some um, accommodation. You've, you've got food and uh, subsistence while you're there. So for me, I, like just those things that we've talked about there, that's 5,000 pounds. And uh, that, that hasn't, they haven't even gone abroad anywhere to do that. And they haven't, you know, their family hasn't been involved. I've just named just a few things. So these things easily add up. And so I would just urge the trustees to consider, right, really consider the true cost of a family participating in 12 weeks worth of activities. And I don't know whether 5,000 pounds sounds like a little or a lot to you, um, I'm just saying, in my mind, £5,000 is almost the minimum uh, that, that would facilitate a reasonable sabbatical. Let me give you some other things to think about when it comes to the financial part of things. A sabbatical, let's say a sabbatical takes place every seven years. So let's say you've given those pastors £5,000 and then you spread that cost over seven years. Therefore, it's not £5,000, really. It's £700 a year over seven years. Now, in terms of a kind of continuing professional development budget, that's actually not very much. You know, I, I know lots of people in my church who would do a one-day course on something related to their business for 700 quid. And this is facilitating the total restoration of your pastors. Uh, second thing to consider... See, uh, Senior pastor sabbatical is often but not always two people. And so uh, actually it's not even 700 quid a year. It's probably 350 quid a year. And then the next thing to consider is probably their kids are involved too and maybe they've got three kids. And so it's actually not even that. It's like one or 200 pounds per person per year for the sake of changing the game for the entire family. Another thing to be aware of is that most senior pastors are financially giving to their own church to a level that is deeply sacrificial. And so in, just as an example, in every case, when we've spoken to senior pastors and we've said, you know, how much could you realistically afford to pay for this sabbatical out of your savings? In every single case, the senior pastors have laughed. And they said, are you joking? What do you mean savings? Savings aren't something that senior pastors often have very much of because mostly uh, they're giving every penny that they can afford to give and beyond to their local church. And, and uh, like we don't know in our church who gives money or how much people give. We've chosen for that to be anonymous, but we can often get lists and data and stuff like that. You know, last time I looked in our church, me and Taryn were number six in terms of the, the amount that we're giving in our church. And our church has about 900 adults in it. So, so what I'm saying is your senior pastors almost certainly can't afford to pay for this out of their own resources. And, and if, if you're not sure whether they can or not, for goodness sake, have the conversation. You know, trustees should just say to this, sit their senior pastors down and say, talk about your savings. How much have you got? How much can you afford to pay to contribute into this thing? Uh, next thing to be aware of is that this entire conversation is going to be deeply awkward for the senior pastor. Like the, sen the senior pastors do not want to speak about any single part of this because they know how it looks. They know how it looks for this for the, to be the senior pastor saying, "I need, you know, I know that you pay my salary and da da da. I need more money now for this thing." And we are so aware of the dynamics at play in this situation and. So if the trustees would do as much of the running as possible in this conversation, it will come as a huge relief. Um, uh, another thing to consider is that the, um, because the senior pastors are obviously direct recipients of this sabbatical, they're therefore in a conflict of interest situation in trustees meetings, if they're trustees. And so therefore they have to leave the room. So just to, just to be really clear, Senior pastors can't 
dictate their own, you know, it has to be approved without them being present and the senior pastors have to recuse themselves. And another thing to bear in mind is that there are ta tax implications for all of these things. So uh, there will be a whole bunch of things that are legitimate business expenses or, or you know, operational expenses. So mileage, uh, um, kind of courses like the marriage course or, or the, uh, the RTF or whatever, you, you know, that's, that's just CPD. So you can easily claim that as, a, as an expense and there are no tax implications for that. As far as I understand, you'll want to get your own tax advice. But there'll be other things like, for example, being able to take your kids with you on something that will cost you money. But if the church gives you money to enable that, then you'll have to pay tax on that. And so therefore, the trustees will need to bear, bear that in mind. The, if you're saying, well, we reckon there's about £2,000 worth of expense there. We're going to give you a gift for £2,000. Totally legitimate thing to do. But you'll have to give them, if you want them to receive £2,000, you'll have to give them £2,800 or whatever the number is. So that after the tax is taken off, it still comes back to to £2,000. And that seems to be the most honest and, and sensible way to conduct things. Another thing to bear in mind is, I, I don't know whether this is over-disclosing, but she's not in the room, so I'll, I'll just <laughs> say it. But my wife, Taryn, every night when we're at home, she sits down with a notepad and she makes a list of what she's going to achieve the following day. So, so, oh, I need to make sure that the kids get to school by the, you know, I need to make sure that I've picked up that thing from the vet and this thing. And, you know, so when we're away from home, she doesn't do that. And so I realized really, really quickly when we were planning our sabbatical, we're going to have to try and make it possible for us to be away from home for as much of the sabbatical as possible. And so just as... We, you know, speaking again to the trustees, it's important to think that through. What would it actually cost for a family to be away from home for 12 weeks? And how could we facilitate that? Do we know anyone who has a holiday cottage or a, you know, a second home somewhere that we could maybe tap into and help to facilitate that? Or are we going to have to try and find a way to also provide some expense so that they can um, facilitate that themselves? Uh, other things to bear in mind, a couple more things, is you'll want to look at the financial resources that the church has, because obviously you don't want to give money to the senior pastors for this thing that the church doesn't have. You, and you kind of want it to be proportionate, so it would be completely disproportionate for a small church of 15 or 20 people just getting going to give £25,000 to their senior pastors to go and have a brilliant sabbatical. So it's just thinking some of those things through. And lastly, again to the trustees, I would encourage you to think about the impact of any decisions made in this particular sphere, the sphere of money. Because just imagine, right, you've been working away as a senior pastor, leading the church, making all kinds of sacrifices, the family paying the cost for seven years or more, and then the trustees come up with a proposal for an amount that is perceived to be mean or stingy. As a senior leaders, how do you respond to that? You, you know, it's like, oh, I, I, I thought what we were doing had more value than that. I thought we were appreciated and, and I thought that people understood how tired we were, how much cost we'd paid, and it turns out that the trustees don't get it. Whereas, imagine the impact of generosity in this space that the trustees go, you know, they surpass the expectations of the senior pastor and they say, hey, we, we did think this and then we realised that our heart was to be generous and so we doubled it or we, you know, we added a percentage on or whatever it is. You know, here's what we think it's going to cost. We're going to give you more just because we want you to have a really great experience. And just imagine how that would be perceived by the senior leaders too. And so I would just urge all trustees to have a policy for this stuff and to do all of the running, to do a whole bunch of research, to take their responsibilities seriously, to steward the assets that they have, that they're senior pastors, and to come into this thing with a spirit of generosity and stewardship and 
uh, wanting to do things really well uh, and just being diligent and faithful in that space, you, you, will, you will pay the dividends of that decision will repay itself many times over. A um, couple more questions, and then we'll just maybe have a bit of time for discussion if need be, um, and then we'll finish. Um, the, the, another question that gets asked a lot is, how contactable should we be during our sabbatical? You, you know, and, and again, every church has to make that decision, and every pastors have, set of pastors have to make that decision themselves. From, from our perspective, we just realized if we had even a moment's contact with our church, that could set everything back by several days or, or weeks. And, and so we just realized, right, we, we need to not have any emails. And so therefore what we did is we just said to our team, when, when we go on sabbatical, will you please change the passwords on our account so that we can't even get into them even if we, even if we try? And so we removed ourselves. In, the, in fact, what, what I did was I put an out-of-office reply on that said, thank you very much for your email. If it's really important, just to let you know, I'm sabbatical. So if it's really important, please email these people. If it can wait, then please email me in three months' time. By the way, this email will be deleted before I return. And so we came back to an empty inbox, which is an absolute <laughs> gift. And so disconnecting from email disconnecting from social media. We didn't go on social media at all. Um, disconnecting from uh, phones. And so we tried to just keep our phones out of reach whenever we possibly could. And we, we talked about how, how we, we talked about um, in what circumstance would I want to be? And that's a really good conversation to have. In what circumstance would I want to be contacted? And we talked about things like, what if our building were to go on fire? I was thinking, what am I gonna, what are we gonna actually do about that from another country or whatever? You know, and we can just come back and find find out what they did. And you know, so so we were like, we don't want to be contacted for that. What about if Somebody gets engaged or whatever. No, don't, we don't want to know about that. We, we realized that actually the only thing that we wanted to be contacted about was a, a select group of people in our church if they died. That was it. If someone was diagnosed with a serious illness, we didn't want to know unless it was like really terminal and there were people who were really close to us. And so it was pretty much death was the only excuse for breaking the, the contactable thing. But again, these conversations are just really important conversations to have. And so we tried to keep a really low profile. We made the mistake of connecting with some of our friends in the church partway through. And it was so awkward. It was like, because we were trying to not talk about, you know, the thing. And, and the more you tried to not talk about it, the more you sort of like edged onto it. And then they gave something away and we get, and it was just like, oh, we just wish we'd never done it. And as awkward as it is, we, we just realize, actually, next time we have a sabbatical, we'll just disappear and we'll just go and make some new friends. Or, you know, like, we'll just, um, yeah. And then the last thing is, how and, well, how and when do we tell the church? And I think there are only really three things that are really important in, in this regard. The first thing is what, the why. Don't miss off the why, you know, when, and, and there has to be a bit of a partnership between the trustees and the, the senior team or whatever, but you've got to think through how are we going to communicate this to the church? There has to be the why. Well, we recognize that Barry and Mary have been serving so hard for seven years that, you know, they're paying a really heavy cost. There's a corrosive pressure that's on them. Um, we're so grateful for them. Uh, we can see that they're tired. We just really want to bless them and give them some time away from the cold face to re be refreshed and restored. And so that's why we're doing it. Uh, so communicating the why is an important thing. Secondly, who? Uh, and the critical who is who's holding the fort while they're away? So people know, you know, it's not just like Chuck and Taryn have just disappeared and goodness knows who's, who's making decisions now. It's like, no, no. If you need to speak to somebody about small groups, here's the contact name. You want to speak to the people about this thing, here's those people. So it's like, who, who do I contact? Who's, who's steering the ship is an important thing. And in fact, we communicate to them, just so you know, those people who are holding the fort, they are not going to make any significant 
decisions or changes of direction or anything like that whilst we we're away. So, so was, no one was worried that it was going to all go pear-shaped whilst we we're away. And then the last thing is how. Like, here's how, here's how we're going to do this. We're going to give them some time and space. We're going to try not to contact them. We're going to contact these people instead. You know, we just, uh, we've, we've made some financial resources available to them. You might want to take up an offering or whatever. But it's like, here are the, here's the mechanisms for that stuff. And so I think those are the critical questions. Why are we doing sabbaticals? What do we think people should do on a sabbatical? How long and how often should a sabbatical be? How much money is going to be made available? How in touch and contactable should the pastors be? And how and when do we communicate the plan to the church? Okay, that's all I've got. So any questions, thoughts, comments on any of that stuff before we finish? There's no such thing as a stupid question. They don't have to be. Oh, hang on, let me get your mic. We... Here you go. Yeah, just for the recording. Thank you, thank you. Um, so I'm guessing you have a paid staff that you could pass on things to. If you're not at the stage, you've done church plant for example from scratch yeah. um how much planning do you put into putting a leader's team together before that and how much did you do actually with your staff team that's we can learn from yeah i i think um i think it must be possible for for anyone to be dispensable you know and so that that's the in, in a way that's the goal of being a church leader isn't it is that you're kind of trying to do yourself out of as many jobs as possible and so this is just a reason to do it. And, and I think that, that um, having, having a day in a year's time where you're going to go on sabbatical will be enough to motivate anyone to then be starting to think through, well, who do I need in place and, ha and, how, would that, and how would that work? And I think that's about all I've got, really. Like, you know, I don't, like um, some churches would want to employ somebody for a few hours a week perhaps in certain you know church plant situations like hey would you just come on and just take care of the notice sheet and the website and the social media you know for a few hours a week whilst we're away that'd be super helpful or whatever it is and I think that's good you know if you've got the resources to do that then then why wouldn't why wouldn't you do that it's different from maternity leave where you you know somebody goes on maternity leave and then the government gives you back the money that you can employ somebody else to do it we don't have that luxury. But for any church trustees to think through what is the true cost of doing this and how do we do this really well, then actually to set aside £10,000, £15,000, whatever it is, to employ someone to step in would be a, a fairly good use of money if, that, if there's someone obviously available to do that. But it's not necessary. You know, if you've got volunteers in different areas, then, then you just say, hey... In fact, so in our context, we said to our associate pastors, we want you to meet every week for at least two hours, I think. And so they then just, that became like the, the, uh, the bridge of the ship and they just made collective decision making and that seemed to work well. Next time we might make one of them the senior, you know, like if nobody else can decide, I'll decide kind of a thing. I think we might do that. But... So any church, that would be a wise thing, whether they're paid or not, to just say, hey, let's just make a, a group who meets together regularly to just make sure if anything comes up. Because ultimately, the question is always going to be, so should we contact Chuck and Taryn? And so you need a group of people who are going to make that decision. I don't know whether that answers your question. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else? Oh, hang on. There you go. Can you talk a little bit more about how to rest? That's something deeply unfamiliar to me. Um, so how did you go about um, finding ways to, you know, be comfortable in the position of, of rest? Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Like I heard, uh, I, rest is, is uh, a deeply personal thing, isn't it? And And... I heard somebody say once, if you work with your mind, you should rest with your hands. And if you, rest, if you work with your hands, then you should rest with your mind. And I think there's something in that. I do think that, like, so obviously, like, what we do 
is a largely cognitive activity. There isn't much manual labor involved in church leadership. Um, and so for me, resting, part of resting was like, right, I'm going to do this project in the garden. I'm going to do these kind of physical activities around and about. I'm going to do a bit more running and, and stuff. And that, I found that deeply restful and restorative. Um, whereas I think if I'd have just sat there and read books all day, then I would have just gone a bit crazy. Um, so I don't, know, I don't know exactly how to answer your question, but I think figuring out what rest means for you as an individual is a really significant and important thing to think about. Um, yeah. Another thing is, is um, I, I was, we went to go and see a mentor figure of ours quite early on in our sabbatical. And I said, what do you think? How, how, he knows me really well. How, how would I get the best out of a sabbatical? He said, I think it'd be important that at some point during your sabbatical, you're really bored. Because I, I, mean, I don't know about anyone else, I don't allow myself to get bored. You know, like I, I, I'm, a, I'm a, um, a consumer of information. You, you know, like I'm, I'm walk, walking around the house with headphones on or with my phone in my pocket listening to stuff all the time. I'm reading stuff all the time. And he was like, you need to some point just sit and just stare into space until you're really... And I think there was something in that, that, that there's something about just unplugging that that was really important, but but unplugging in in a way that was like I'm I'm not I'm not connected to anything or anybody. I'm just I'm just sitting. Um, but yeah, I, I don't I don't really know the answer to your question. question. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Um, so my wife and I are also bivocational. Yeah. Um, uh, for me, actually, it's. Uh, easier to take some time off during summer holidays because I kind of teach mostly. Yeah. Um, my wife doesn't have that um, liberty. So any, any thoughts really or sort of, you know, how, to, how might you change the way that you do sabbatical perhaps given that um, actually probably progressively more and more people are bivocational these days than perhaps ever before. Yes. So. Yeah. And I have spoken to churches where that's the case. And he here's the conversation that we've had. Number one, is it possible for either or both of you to take unpaid leave from your other job? Um, because if you, can, if you can completely clear the space, that is the, that, I would say that is the absolute optimal way of doing it. Um, if that's not possible, then it's thinking about how do we optimize the time that we do have? And so remember I was saying about how in our family, getting away from home was quite a critical piece. So it's like, okay, we finish work on a Tuesday lunchtime. So we're going to make sure that throughout that sabbatical, every Tuesday lunchtime, the car's already packed, you know, and we're going camping, we're going away somewhere, we're going off to do some course or other. It's like, how do we absolutely maximize the time in the week that we do have for a sabbatical is, an, is another way to approach it. It's difficult if you like work Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays in one job or whatever it is. I can see that's really challenging. Or if indeed you work a full regular week and, and you know, as many church plants would, and then you're trying to do this in your evenings and weekends, in which case e even, even just the, the unstringing of the bow, the coming away from the ministry thing, stepping away from the church and just being present with Jesus but, but not carrying the responsibilities that you carry still has a power to it, even just in and of itself. And so, um, and I still would encourage, you know, the marriage stuff or the, the um, prayer ministry stuff or some coaching or some spiritual direction, all these kinds of things to feed into that. But I think even just the principle of stepping back from the responsibility is powerful. And, and rediscovering your identity, your relationship with Jesus beyond having to, you know, read the Bible to write a sermon is powerful. Yeah, so we just pass the, how are we doing for time? Oh, we've run out of time, but we'll. Um, yeah, the sort of subject of rest was something that kind of prompted me to come along to this talk, you know, in mm. terms of sabbatical, it's one way of resting. Mm. There's a good book by um, Adam Mulberry called The Art of Rest. And uh, when you think about, I suppose, God creating the world, we're back in Genesis. Genesis 2, 2, 3 talks about him resting. Mm. You think, why does an almighty, powerful God need to rest mm. to spend time with his creation? Mm -hmm. And so for me, that's kind of a starting point I've been looking into. 
in other ways of resting. Mm. For me, I'm not a, a church leader, but I, I have a date there on a Friday, so I'm not working on a Friday at mm. time with, with my wife because mm. um, our kids are sort of old enough now that we don't get the evenings together anymore. So, uh, mm-hmm. But it's not easy if you navigate these things. And, you know, rest can often be because sweating under the carpet and you kind of feel guilty about rest and being a, think of a self-indulgent thing. Um, but it's incredibly important to rest and there are good ways to rest. Yeah, brilliant. No, it's really helpful. Thank you. Brilliant. Okay, let me just pray and then we'll finish. Lord, we thank you for uh, this topic, sabbatical. We thank you for the provision of this tool, sabbatical, to um, really have an impact on the mental, uh, relational, spiritual health of our pastors. And so we pray, Jesus, that you would... um, Use those sabbaticals. I, I can see people in the room even now who are, who are Jewish sabbatical. We pray, Jesus, that you would do everything that is in your heart uh, for those people during their sabbaticals. We pray that you would change the game for them. We pray that you would these sabbaticals would be life-changing, life-shaping, ministry-shaping, church-shaping, that everyone would benefit, family-restoring, uh, that everyone would benefit from these sabbaticals. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brilliant. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. It's good.